Well, good morning, and it really is good to have you guys here. Thanks for being a part of our service today. I'm going to be in Mark chapter 5 if you've got your Bible. You might want to turn to that. And if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to grab one that's on the uh, racks on the, on the walls. And if you'd like to take it home because you don't have a Bible at home, you feel free to take that as well. Um, I had a conversation with a guy um, about my age, probably now a month or two ago. And it was about the relevancy of the church. And the statement that he made was actually a little shocking to me coming from him. I, I, I didn't see it coming, but he said, the church is irrelevant. Church has no value, no meaning anymore. It's, 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 not, it's not of any value to our culture, to our society. Not any value to me, he said personally. Now, I was shocked by that because I have never thought of the church as ir- ir- irrelevant or not having relevancy. Part of the challenge, and I think this is his challenge, is the way we define church. If you define church as an hour on Sunday morning, give or take a few minutes, and it's showing up in a meeting and sitting in a chair, uh, you know, singing or listening to a few songs, and then enduring 30 minutes or so of a talk and listening to some talking head, and that's what you define church as, then maybe it might be irrelevant for you. Now, it's very important that we gather together. It's extremely important that we celebrate, that we experience this uh, time called, you know, the, the gathering of the community of faith, church, on Sunday mornings. But if that's it for you, if that's all you experience, and that's all that church is for you, then it, it probably is, in many ways, irrelevant, because it doesn't have an impact, potentially in, an impact in your life, Monday through Saturday. And that's not God's desire at all. I believe this, and this is what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to tell you the two things we're going to land on. Then we're going to unpack Mark chapter 5. And uh, then I'm going to come back around to the so what's for us to do. What does this mean? But I'm going to tell you this. God wants the church to be extremely relevant in our culture. And the way that happens is through his power and through his community. It happens as we experience the power of God, encounter him, not just in a moment on Sunday morning, but in our lives, throughout our lives, and the experience we have with the people that we work with. And the places that we live, with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends. God wants us to walk in power. And I'll unpack that and explain it in a moment. But in the power of his kingdom and in the community that comes when we share his life in the kingdom. Power and community, those are the two things that, in my opinion, make the church extremely relevant for today. Because when you have a power encounter with God, it changes everything. My first encounter with God, that I would call a power encounter, was when I was 15 years old. And I was at a camp, a big sandy camp in northern Minnesota. And uh, I was working at the camp actually that summer. There as a, as a chef's uh, a kitchen assistant, which basically meant I did the dishes. And I, I spent the entire summer there. And the only requirement was, besides the labor I had to do, was that I had to go to all the evening sessions. I had to show up for chapel every, every night. So imagine you're 15 years old and you're working at camp because you want to have fun and meet girls. And you've got to go every night to church. And it's every week. It's a different camp speaker. And some of them were good. Some of them were horrible. And I had to go to these things. And by about six weeks into it, I'm bored to death. I'm just sitting there in the back with my arms full of taking a nap most of the time. Thinking, what can you tell me that I haven't already heard? I'm all 15. I know everything. Well, uh, this, the guy that six week or so of camp was this, I'll never forget him, I don't remember his name, uh, but he was this gigantic, just tall, really tall. I mean, he'd have to duck to come through the doors in our building. Very, very tall person. And this very deep, you know, powerful voice. 
And uh, I, the first night, the very first night that he spoke, I don't remember anything that he said, but at the end of the night, he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go out. We're going to dismiss you in just a moment. And he says, I want you to go out and find a spot to be alone. And I'm going to ask you to go find a spot to be alone and just ask God, God, would you come and reveal yourself to me? Now, he said, I know some of you are going to go out and you're going to go back to your cabin. Some of you are going to go out and make out with your girlfriend, your boyfriend. Some of you are not going to go find a place to be alone with God. He says, but I promise you this. If you'll go and you'll say, God, I, I'm here to meet you. Reveal yourself to me that you'll have an encounter with God. I don't know. Maybe it was just something in me that was desperate enough to say, okay. And I, I found a spot along the lake, Big Sandy Lake, sat next to a tree, leaned back a tree, and it was just one of those beautiful nights where you could just see a gazillion stars, and it was warm. I'm so longs for summer. But it was warm and beautiful. And I sat there, and I just said, God, I don't really know what to expect here, but reveal yourself to me. And I will not take the time to describe for you the kind of encounter I had with God that, that night, but let me tell you this. At 15 years old, I had no doubt God was for real. No doubt that God was relevant in my life. No doubt that he wanted to do something because he showed up and, and the encounter I had with him right there in that spot changed my life forever. And the good news is that was not the last encounter like that I had. I've had many, 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 many moments just like that where God in his grace, in his goodness, in his overwhelming power just shows up in my life and, and it has radically changed me. The power of God, when you encounter that, there's nothing irrelevant then about your, your walk of faith. There's nothing irrelevant about it when you experience it in the community of faith called the church. I want to read to you um, Mark chapter 5. And I'm going to read the whole thing. going to make some comments as we walk through it, just to highlight some things. But here's what I want you to look for as we walk through this passage together. Look for those two things, power and community. Power and community as we read this together. I'm going to pick it up in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, Gerasenes, they meaning Jesus and the disciples. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones." So how many would say this guy is messed up? He's not in a good way at all. And, and uh, he's living among the tombs. He's, uh, Luke describes him as naked. And he's bruised. He's cut, he's, he's cut himself with stones. He's, he's a mess. Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me, for Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. All right, use that God-given imagination you have and put yourself in maybe Peter or James' shoes, and you're sitting there watching this happen. Jesus gets out of a boat. All of a sudden, this naked man who's messed up, who's got, oh, he, he's, he looks disturbed, he is disturbed, and suddenly he's at Jesus' feet, and he's screaming, shouting, Leave me alone, Jesus, Son of the Most High God! Now, if I'm Peter and James, this is what I'm doing. I'm, getting out, I'm backing up. I'm moving out of this because this is just way off my radar of normalcy, and it's not. Jesus looks at this guy, and out of compassion and the authority that he had, said, demon, leave him. Well, um, verse 9, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? 
My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Legion, uh, Roman, Roman uh, group of soldiers, about 6,000 soldiers in a legion. It's, it's not literally saying here that this guy had 6,000 demons, though he did have a lot. It also became a phrase back then that would be used kind of in a, in a, in a common way. Well, boy, you know, got, a lot of, got any money? I got, I got legions of money. It means you have numerous, a lot, too much to count. And so this guy replies, man, there's a lot of us in here. And they begged Jesus not to, to send them to the abyss. Verse 11, a large crowd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. This story's going from weird to weirder. Now, people you know, might wonder, well, why did this happen? Why did Jesus send the demons into the pigs? Here's my theological answer. I don't know. <laughs> we really don't know. Perhaps we can speculate. Pigs were unclean to the Jews. Demons are unclean. Uh, maybe it's unclean spirits go to those unclean animals. Boom, I don't know. Maybe it's Jesus demonstrating. This is what I suspect. Jesus is demonstrating, physically demonstrating what's taking place with this man. It's one thing to say to a demon, come out, and suddenly he seems normal. It's another thing to say, come out, and all of a sudden 2,000 pigs go running off a cliff into the, the Sea of Galilee. I've been there. I've been in this region of the Gerasenes, which is at that time would have been more of a Gentile, uh, Gentile area of, of, the, of the countryside. And uh, the lake was much bigger. The Sea of Galilee was bigger then than it even is today. And I've seen those hillsides. And they're pretty steep. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, come out. And 2,000 pigs go running into the sea and end up belly up, dead, floating in the water. And again, this is freaking everybody out. Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off. You would too. And reported this in town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They were going, oh my goodness, what is going Because they, they, everybody in that area knew about this guy. They all heard the stories or they'd seen him. And now he's there, he's in his right mind, he's dressed, and he's listening to Jesus. Verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Ever been rejected before? They'll raise your hand. We all have. And it's, I find it, and this is not the point today, but just on a side note, some comfort that Jesus understood what it was like. Because basically he's being rejected here. They said, please leave us. This madman now became a miracle man. And they don't know what to do. And their attitude is just, Jesus, Go. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home. Go home to your family and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the, the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. I ask you to look for power in community. Power, Jesus dealt with the demonic in this man's life. Community, and don't miss this. I love this in verse 19. Jesus restored this man. Who knows how many months, perhaps years, this guy had been separated, isolated, you know, in a horrible way, separated from his family, separated from his friends. And now Jesus said, I want you to go home. Power 
and restored community in this man's life. Let's read on verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers, not a rabbi, but a, basically a, 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 we would call a deacon perhaps, and a guy who served, took care of things, synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her so she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. Completely different scenario now. Jairus is not a naked man running to Jesus screaming. He is a respected leader in the community, a leader of the synagogue. And he comes in desperate need of an encounter, a power encounter on the, on the sake of, for sake of his daughter, his daughter who's dying. And he comes and he, he falls at the feet of Jesus. Please come. Please touch my daughter. Please heal her. Now, why did Jairus do that? Well, we, again, we can only speculate. Perhaps he'd seen Jesus do miraculous things. Maybe he'd experienced it um, uh, through stories. He'd heard about what Jesus could do. But whatever reason he had, it, he ran to Jesus and he fell at Jesus' feet and says, please come and heal my daughter. And Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around in verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Most believe that she probably had a condition that put her into a perpetual menstrual cycle, that she was uh, constantly bleeding. And she had suffered a great deal, it says in verse 26, under the care of many doctors, and it's been all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now, this is not an accusation against modern medicine or doctors by any means. Uh, Luke records the story. Dr. Luke records the story as well. The point is that she had done everything humanly possible, and she tried desperately to find healing, and yet nothing happened. In fact, she grew worse. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crowd and touched his cloak, the edge of his robe, because she thought, if I just touched his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So this woman presses through. She's in a crowd. By the way, because of her condition, according to Jewish law, she would have been considered unclean. Perpetual bleeding for 12 years, perpetually unclean. Unable to enter into the synagogue and to worship, even in the woman's section. Unable to physically touch someone without making them unclean. Probably either divorced or never married because of this condition that she had. She's destitute, she's desperate, she's lost everything. She's, she is essentially a social outcast. She has no real meaningful community with anyone. And she's, doing, she's breaking all kinds of rules. And she's in this crowd, and you never touch a rabbi, especially when you're unclean, but that's exactly what she did. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. There it is again, power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? So she presses in, she reaches out, and power flows from Jesus into this woman's body and heals her. This word power here is a phenomenal word in the original language in the Greek of the New Testament. And it's the word here, dunamis, uh, comes from the word dunamis. We get our word dynamite from it. But when it's used in the New Testament, most of the time it refers to miraculous ability. When, when it says that power went out from Jesus, it doesn't mean strength. It means miraculous 
power of God. The, not human strength, but miraculous ability went out from, this, from Jesus to touch this woman. And Jesus sensed it. He knew it. And so he says, wait, time out. Who touched me? Verse 31. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? The disciples are like, you got to be kidding me, Jesus. They're in a crowd of people on their way to the home of Jairus, on their way to take care of this situation that's critical. And there's people everywhere, and I could just see Peter or James, the guys up front, and they're parting the cloud, the, the cloud, parting the crowd in front of Jesus. They're, they're trying to get him, you know, people, because Jesus is a rock star at this point. Everybody wants a piece of him. And Jesus is pressing through this crowd. This woman touches him, and he stops and goes, who touched me? And the disciples are going, you, are you kidding me? Everybody touched you. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. But Jesus kept looking around, verse 32. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear and told him the whole truth. Why was she terrified? She broke all sorts of rules. Men, you know, women don't touch men. Unclean women don't touch rabbis. And she, she is, and she's thinking she's busted and going to get really called out. But she comes and she tells him what happened. Verse 34. And I love this encounter that Jesus has with this woman. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Sweetheart, your faith in God has set you free. Go in peace. And there's the community. Go. Jesus saying, go, go. It's okay. You can be restored now. Restored to the, the family, the friends, the synagogue. Worship. Go in peace knowing that you are whole. You're healed. You're free from your suffering. Power and community. Verse 35. When Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, looked at Jairus and said, don't be afraid. Just believe. Again, this encounter that Jesus has with this man who's desperate and now feels defeated. Just oh, the ache in his soul when he hears the words, your daughter, she's gone. Don't bother the teacher. It's too late. And Jesus looks at this man and he says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Hang on. Verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw the commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. In the Jewish culture, they would hire professional mourners to come in and to, to literally come in and wail and weep and mourn and, as a show of support. But they, they hired people that did this. And they're all there. Verse 39, he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. With the demoniac, what happened there, and the pigs, he was rejected. Here he's ridiculed. Ever been ridiculed by someone? Especially for your faith in God? They laughed at him. Well, after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was, and he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum. Talitha kum. Now, that's an Aramaic phrase, and what it literally means is little girl, get up. I read one uh, commentary this week, and I don't know exactly where he got this from, but I liked it so much I'm going to share it for what it's worth. It's really, a, there's a term of endearment here. Jesus isn't just saying, 
whatever, get up. Or, you know, girl, rise. It, there was this term of endearment. In fact, the way this one uh, commentary put it is that really it's, it's like little lamb, get up. We all have special names for our children. You know, I call my grandson Caleb, little man. And if I were to pray for him, I'd say, little man, get up. Well, Jesus comes to this girl and with this tenderness, this compassion. He uses this term of endearment, kalithakum, little girl, little lamb, rise up, get up. Verse 42, immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. See a little bit of a power encounter there? Just a little. And at this they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders to not tell anyone about this. He didn't want to be, you know, people to try and make him king. He knew that wasn't why he came. And then he told them to give the girl something. I love this at the end, the last verse. Let's eat. <laughs> she, yeah, she's up. Let's give the girl. And really, in part there, what's happening again is this restoration to community. Breaking bread with someone is a powerful way of, in every culture of sharing in community, sharing in family. And Jesus says, get up, little girl. She's up. He says, okay, let's have dinner. Time, time to, to take care of her and to feed her. And this community aspect, again, is experienced. Why did Mark write these stories? Actually, they're going all the way back to Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, which I didn't want to take the time to go back to. But it's one of my great, most favorite stories. Mark 4, 35 and on is Jesus calming the storm. So we see in the end of chapter, chapter 4, Jesus calms the storm. And then at the beginning of this Chapter 5, Jesus deals with the demonic and sets this man free. Then he deals with a woman who's diseased, and then he deals with death. What's Mark's point? What's the big idea here? Why did Mark write these stories? Well, here's the theological answer. Here's the correct answer to this. He is saying to all who would read this, Jesus isn't just a great guy. He's not just a really cool teacher. He's God. God in the flesh. He's God. And he demonstrated by power over nature when he calms the storm and says, stop it, and it's calm. Power over the darkness, the demonic, when he casts not just one, but thousands of demons out of this guy. Power over disease as this woman, you know, who's been suffering for 12 years, encounters Jesus, and boom, she's set free. And then power even over death. The ultimate power is the power over death. And John, excuse me, Mark's point in all of this is, listen, Jesus is for real, and he is, in fact, the Son of God. When you look at the church, when we talk about, let's tie it back into where the application I want you to walk away with today, about the relevancy of the church. How do we experience the relevancy? Why, what can we do that will demonstrate to a watching world that the church and the kingdom and Jesus matters? Well, we demonstrate what Jesus did, the power of God. The transforming power of God that changes hearts, minds, that brings people from darkness into light, from no relationship with God into relationship with God. Yes, that's transforming power of the Holy Spirit. But the power of God to encounter our lives, whether we're bound by darkness, broken by disease, or experiencing physical or death in any way, we are to be doing what Jesus did. We get to do what he did. Now that's, for some of you, a radical new concept. Others have heard that before and you believe it, but my question is, are you experiencing that in your life? And are we experiencing that in the life of the church? You see, the mission and the ministry of Jesus is to be our mission and our ministry. Let me say that again. His mission 
His ministry is our mission and our ministry. In fact, in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said, greater works than I do, you're going to do. Now, I don't think there's anything greater than raising somebody from the dead, but greater in terms of its spectrum, its impact, that there's going to be, instead of just a few of us, that the church, the church of Jesus throughout millennia, greater works, that Jesus said, the same things I've done, you're going to get to do. My mission and my ministry are yours. Acts chapter 2, Jesus told the church, go and wait for power. Go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come so that you can be my witnesses and go into all the world and do what I did. My mission and my ministry will become yours. And in case you're thinking, well, that was fine. That was for, you know, Jesus and just the apostles. I need to remind you of a few things. One, if you move to Acts chapter 6, you find a guy named Stephen who was eventually martyred for his faith in Christ. And it says Stephen operated in miraculous power, dunamis. Miraculous ability. Go to Acts chapter 8. Philip, who's a deacon, just a, he's a servant. He's the guy that could fix the meals and, and help take care of people. He was, he was a servant in the church. It says Philip in Acts chapter 8 it was demonstrated the miraculous, the dunamis, the miraculous of power and ability of God to the Samaritans, and they came to know Christ by the thousands. God's intent for the church, here's my, my suggestion. God's intent for us is that we would walk in, in the same mission and the same ministry that Jesus walked in. That we would do what he did. That the life that he lived and now has empowered us by his Holy Spirit to live, that we get to do what Jesus did. And in fact, even more of it. My concern is, and this isn't just about East Point, but about the church at large, especially in the Western culture, is that we've become pretty good at doing church but are we really good at being the church? We've become pretty good at doing things, meetings, gatherings, and nothing wrong with those. But are we as good? Have we forgotten that we're to be like Jesus? That being a Christ follower means we go into our world Monday through Saturday. And we are the church. We get to be the church everywhere that we go. And what does that mean? Well, it means we experience the power the transforming power, the miraculous power, and the community of faith in a world that's watching. See, my conviction is that when people see that, when they experience that, when they observe that, then the question of relevancy gets answered pretty quick. If you've had power encounters, if you've seen God move powerfully through others, or best, even through you, then immediately it answers the question for you, does God make a difference? Hello? Yeah, he does. I know where I was, how lost I was, and God saved me. He transformed me, my heart, my mind, and brought me into relationship with him. But see, I've, I've seen the power of God. I've experienced the power of God. I've seen him touch and change bodies, minds, hearts, lives, marriages. I've seen that power. And when you've experienced that, when you experience that, then you don't ever question whether God's relevant, whether the church is relevant. When you experience community, when we experience it at the dimension and the depth that God intends for us to experience, then there's no question as to, what well, does the church really matter? You think, man, I can't imagine my life without it because of the community of faith that we get to have with each other. But I'm concerned about the American church. Jeff, in fact, he's got his book available in the lobby uh, this morning. And I had the privilege of reading his book uh, long before it got published and and uh, it, it made a huge impact on my life. I, 
Uh, I, I read it um, again this last week, um, not page to page, but went through all the highlights, everything that I'd uh, underlined in that book, and, and it's powerful. And Jeff makes a statement that I just want to quote him from the book. He says, The contrast between powerless American religion and the first century church is startling. The contrast between what we tend to experience in the typical American church and the church of the first century, the contrast is startling. Guys, I've been asking you to read through the book of Mark, to read each, uh, at least a chapter each week. Next Sunday, we'll be in Mark 6. Go there. Read Mark 6. Get into the Word. Saturate yourself with it. But as you read through the Gospels, and then as you get into the book of Acts, and then even into the epistles, the church in Corinth, they had a lot of things that were messed up about them. You see this power of God, this community of God that's being experienced by them, and it turned their world upside down. People who had all sorts of gods, small g, all sorts of religious experiences, couldn't deny the reality of this message, this good news, that God is for real. God, and I've seen it, I've experienced it. I've seen it and changed hearts and minds. I've seen it and changed bodies. I've seen it and people have been set free. And I see it in the community of faith, the community of faith that the church experiences. And, and people said, well, I see how they love one another. And they were drawn to that. The mission of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, is still our mission, it's still our ministry. I'm gonna read to you a passage from Luke 4:18. And just, just want you to understand, again, well, what is the mission and ministry of Jesus? Jesus, in what's called by some the kingdom manifesto, stands up in his home synagogue, in his hometown, and he, the scroll of Isaiah is brought to him, and he finds this passage in Isaiah chapter 61, and he reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus opens up this very familiar passage to every good Jew, and he reads these words, and he tells them, here's the deal. Here's my mission, and here's what I'm going to do. Here's the, the ministry that I'm going to fulfill. I am, and that's a very messianic passage, I'm the guy and it's, God has sent me to proclaim good news, to tell people that they can be restored to relationship with God by grace, through faith. We can experience forgiveness. That's great news. But the other good news is the kingdom of God has come. And we read that phrase in the New Testament. What does that mean? It means the manifest presence of God, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God is here. It's at hand. You can see it. You can experience it. You can know it. The kingdom of and that's good news especially to the bound, especially to the broken, especially to those at any level in their life are experiencing death, literal or figurative. And the message that Jesus says, I'm bringing good news. And by the way, to back that up, I'm gonna set the captives free. I'm gonna, I'm gonna heal the blind. I'm gonna, you're gonna see power through me. And guys, I'm here to tell you, if you think, well, that was great for Jesus. I'm glad he got to do that. You need to understand something today. And if you hear anything, hear this. The mission and ministry of Jesus is our mission and our ministry. It's what we're called to do. We proclaim the good news. And we pray for the sick. We pray for the oppressed. We pray for those who are experiencing death. And we ask, God, your kingdom come. Your power. Demonstrate your dunamis, your miraculous ability right here in a way that will rock 
their world and rock our world all around us. I'm going to finish with one more story and a couple of so what's for us and I'm done. A couple years ago, in fact, probably almost, man, two and a half years ago now, we um, were in the old auditorium. We were moving into this building. We were attempting to remodel it. Most of you remember the story if you were here. Uh, it was ludicrous. It was craziness. I mean, to remodel and to expand in the shadow of the Great Recession, maybe it's over three years ago now, but, but it was like people thought, Boobna, you are, you are off your rocker. And I was the first one to admit, you're right, this does not make sense. This is craziness. But through a variety of things that happened, we were given an opportunity, and we prayed, the leadership prayed, the board prayed. We thought, God, if this is you, we are not going to go into debt. We need to know that this is you, and God, please show us what to do. And God says, do it. And to a man, every person in our leadership and on our board says, we've got to. We've got to step out. We've got to take that leap of faith and trust in God. And we went to you and said, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we need. And, and we were committed to not going in debt. I had hoped that we would have had the remodel done and that we would have been in by Christmas Eve that year. It didn't happen because we were still $100,000, $150,000 short. So somewhere end of January, beginning of March, uh, February, excuse me, I, I uh, felt like God just said, come spend the night with me. And I literally came in this building and the, there was no carpet, no painting, no lights. It was very, very raw. We again, $150,000 away from finishing. And I spent the night sleeping right over there on an air mattress in the corner. And I uh, prayed most of the evening, got tired, went to sleep, got up about five in the morning. This building has some really weird noises at nighttime. Uh, just, you know, I don't know if it's the rats or what. But yeah, there's a, no, no, that's a, but there, you know, there's some creaking noises and stuff going on. And I woke up about five, which is not that unusual for me. But I got up and I just began to pray. And it's dark outside, and I just, there's no chairs, there's no carpet, there's nothing in this room, and I'm just circling, just praying. And I'm praying the prayer I've prayed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. God, we need your provision. God, we need your protection. God, we need more of your presence, and God, we need your power. Those four Ps. I've prayed that I don't know how many times. God, we need your provision. We, we can't do this without you. God, we need you to protect us. God, we need more of your presence. We need, we need you, and we need your power. And I got to a point, in fact, I can tell you, I can show you the spot where I, as I'm walking around this room, I came to a spot near the back wall, and I heard the train whistle in the distance. And like that, just that fast, the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart, the train's coming, the train's coming. And I literally dropped to my knees and began to weep. Wept, oh God. I believe that. I believe the train's coming. And the good news is the train of provision did come and miraculously God provided and we were able to do, remodel this and being here by Easter that year, debt free and it was phenomenal. It just God. But I have continually prayed, Lord, I want to know more your presence and your power. I want to know more because here's my conviction, guys. I believe that we are in the last days, whether it's the last weeks, months, decades, I don't know. But I truly do believe, and this is a whole other topic I won't get into, but I truly do believe that we're at a point in our world history where we're not far from Jesus coming back and the darkness is getting darker. Have you noticed that? And the church is going to become even more critical, more important to reach into the midst of our culture, the darkness, the demonized, the disease, the death that's everywhere. 
And we have the opportunity to do what Jesus did, to, to be what Jesus was, to minister the way he ministered, to pursue and fulfill his mission on this planet. And I'm convinced of this, and this is where I want to wrap it up. How do we get there? Well, the train is coming. I believe another movement of God is coming. Some of you are old enough to remember the Jesus People Movement. I was a part of that. I've had the privilege of seeing this. You just can't deny that God is doing something that's way beyond any one man, any one church. It's a movement of God. I believe that's coming again because God loves people, because he wants the church to be what they need to be so that thousands, millions, hundreds of millions can come to know him. But the train's coming, but the rails for that train to run on, here's what I believe. It's power and it's community. It's the power of God, the dunamis, miraculous power of God, not only to change hearts and minds, but to change bodies, to set the captives free, to bring life where there's death. The power of God and the community of God. And those two things are the rails that the church has got to provide for the train to come. We've got to take the risk. So what do we do? We step out of our comfort zone. We say yes to God. We fully surrender our lives and ask him to radically empower us to do what we cannot do on our own. But let me tell you what we don't do. We don't get weird. Some of you are like, oh, but there's a, maybe a third. You're like going, I have no idea what he's talking about. Do you get this? I don't know. Another third of you are going, man, if he goes Pentecostal on me, I'm out of here. <laughs> and Guys, I'm not talking about that. And another third of you, because you came from Pentecostal church, you're like, yeah, it's about time. <laughs> Listen to me. Listen carefully. I do not know exactly what it's going to look like. I don't know when that train's coming. But I do know this. Our lives have got to be marked better than they ever have been by what marked Jesus. The signature of Jesus on us it means we've got to look more like he looked. We've got to be more like he was. Do more of what he did. And not be afraid to take some risk. You're at, at the office and somebody says, man, I got a horrible migraine. I don't know what I'm going to do. And at that moment, you just take the risk. Can I pray for you? And they go, yeah, sure. Because they're thinking you're going to go home and pray for them. And you go, I mean, right now. Would you mind if I just put my hand on your shoulder or on your head and just ask God to heal you, and you take the risk. You're dealing with darkness, and it's obviously something demonic. And I don't believe there's a demon behind every bush, but guys, it's time to stop beating around the bush when we're dealing with the demonic. And we need to be, just like Jesus, willing to do whatever we have to do to see the captives set free, even if it costs 2,000 pigs in the process. And then we need to experience more than we ever have before. I think as times get tougher on the church, and I believe that that's going to bring some persecution and some struggle for us that most of us in the Western church has never experienced. My brother lives with it all the time as a missionary in a, in, 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 in a Muslim country. But I think we're going to experience it more in this culture, in our Western world than we have before. And it's the community of faith that's going to be even more critical to your survival. And people will look and say, wow, if that's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, then I want that. Power. Community. How we get there, what that looks like, I'm not entirely sure. And if that bothers you, well, welcome to the journey called East Point. Welcome to my world. Uh, but here's what I do know. Fully surrender Radically empowered. That's the prayer. 
God, I'm, I want to be fully surrendered to you and radically empowered by you. And whatever that means, whatever that takes me, I'm going to say yes to you. How about you? How about you? And again, we got to guard against the flesh. I'm not talking about wackiness or weirdness. I'm talking about taking the risk of saying yes to God, fully surrender in our lives. What could God do with people who say, I'm in, all in, fully surrendered, and with people who say, and I, I want to be radically empowered to be just like Jesus. To follow Jesus means to do what Jesus did. Bow our heads, let me pray for you. Lord, I know, because um, I saw it in the first service, some of the uneasiness. Some of us have had some bad experiences with things that have given us some great hesitation, some baggage that we um, have tried to run from and we don't want to go there again, and Lord, neither do I. Some of us, Lord, um, quite honestly, are a little clueless. We really don't know what this all means. But my prayer is, God, that all of us would come to a point where we would say, whatever it takes, Lord, fully surrendered, radically empowered, I want to be Jesus. I want our church to be the bride of Christ, the body of Christ in a way that turns our world upside down just like the first church did. And so help us, Lord, to be all in. Calm our fears. Teach us what it means to experience more community than we ever have before. Connect us and empower us, I pray it, Lord. Maybe you're here today. Keep your head bowed and eyes closed for a moment. Maybe you've not yet started your walk as a Christ follower. And you're here today and you're thinking, well, if that's what it means to be a Christ follower, to follow Jesus, to, to do what he did, to be like him, then that doesn't sound irrelevant. That sounds pretty awesome. And you realize, man, I need that grace. I want that forgiveness. I need God. And, and you're today ready to surrender your life, fully surrender your life to him. If that's you, would you just make this prayer yours? I'm going to pray the words, but you make this your heart's cry right now. Father, forgive me. For I've sinned against you, against others, against myself. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. And here right now, I'm surrendering my all, my everything to you. And I'm in. I'm going to follow you. Fill me with your spirit. Whatever that means, I'm not even sure I know, but God, fill me with the power to become the man or the woman that you want me to become because I know I can't do it on my own strength. I surrender. I'm yours. Now, if that's you, just in your own way, say, yep, God, that's my heart. That's my desire. And the Bible says that moment you do, you, you begin that journey as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus. Lord, thank you for those that every week make a decision here to, to, to follow you. Show all of us, Lord, though, all of us today, may we leave here knowing better than we ever have before what it truly means to follow you. It means to live like you, to be like you.
pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with a song of worship. This prayer, it's a song that I, I hope will be a prayer of yours today. It's one of my favorites. We're going to give as well. We do this in this part of the service on, on purpose. It's Our giving is an act of worship. It's an act of surrender. It's an act of saying, God, I'm in. And I want to support the kingdom and the church and what God's doing. So you give as we worship, and then I'll go back and I'll wrap it up. I love the phrase in that song, it's your glory, Lord, that we long for. And glory is kind of a religious phrase for a lot of people, but what it literally means, glory in the the Bible means the manifest presence. Let let us experience that manifest presence, the revealed presence of God. And how's that revealed? Through power, through community. That's our cry. That's our need. That's my longing for us as a church. I promise you, it'll be a journey that will stretch us, but it will not be a journey that takes us anywhere near something that's fleshly or, or carnal or weird. What we will do is follow Jesus to become just like him. Today, if you begin your life as a Christ follower, there's some packets by the doors. It says for new believers on it. It's got a Bible, some material to get you started in your walk with Jesus. Next uh, week during this service, we've got our first steps, the class for you. Please sign up and take that. If you need prayer, some of you need the dunamis power, the miraculous power of God in your life. And we were reading the story and thinking, boy, I wish that would happen for me. I, I've got an issue of blood. I, I'm dealing with death. I'm dealing with some darkness. Don't go that way. Come this way. Let us pray for you. We've got trained prayer team people that would love to lay hands on you and pray for you. If you need communion today, please stop and, and partake of communion on either side of the room. But as you go today, I'm going to ask you to do this. Wednesday, Lent begins, which some of us, it doesn't mean a lot. Others, it's been our tradition to always make it a special season, those 40 days prior to Easter. I'm going to invite you to do something with me, to find something that you can give up. And by the way, not just something bad for you. Well, I'll give up cookies. Well, yeah, okay, fine. But something that will be a sacrifice for you and to do it as an act of desperation and an act of prayer, to fast that thing, that stuff, whatever it is, television, whatever, to give up something for Lent from beginning this Wednesday through the Saturday before Easter and to make that a season for you where your cry would be just like my cry is right now. God, let us experience more of your presence, your power, power and community. Show us what that means. Join me in that. I would invite you to do so. As you go today, go safely. It's kind of ugly out there. Please be safe and go in faith. Go be the church. Go be the church this week. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.